Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity, joined as always by Mickey White. It is January 17th, 2019. It's been, you know, we're getting a little more into the regular swing of things on our show. And uh, let's see, it's been like, what, a week since our last show, Mickey? I think so, actually. Um, hi, everybody. Welcome back. I think it's been about a week, which, you know, will shock most of our regular listeners. Um, because, well, we, you know, it took, well, we used to do it every week all the time. And then, then we, you know, got a little lazy and now we're kind of definitely getting back in the swing of things. One of the things I've noticed personally um, in listening back to the shows is that I need to up my production value. So I'm going to work on that, peep. So, you know, um, but uh, also I'm I glad you tell- brought it up so I didn't have to. Make well, see, there you go. By, by the way, like the lesson of us doing two shows in a one week span for all of our happy listeners out there is don't get used to this. <laughs> we yes. make no promises. It all depends on our schedules. Correct. There are no promises to be made here. Um, it just so happens, right? Um, I do want to apologize in advance, as you can probably tell. I have developed a bit of a cold. Uh-huh. And um, so in addition to my normally raspy and deep voice, it like goes full Kim Carnes, I guess, um, <laughs> at this point. So, um, yeah. So I apologize to everyone in advance or, you know, you're welcome, depending. Yeah, I, I think there'll, a lot of folks won't, won't mind it. It gets Kathleen Turner-ish if you uh, – it's like Kathleen Turner is the next notch and the one after that is that guy from Rockapella. So. <laughs> um, Anyway, so there's been this utterly horrific story in the news that I have really not paid attention to. But the moment I saw this horrible headline of, of a teenager getting kidnapped and god-awful things happening, I'm like, that's a Mickey story right there. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, am I correct, Mickey? You've been following this and have thoughts? Yes, yes. And, and thank you for thinking of me when there's a horrific true crime story. I, I really like I'm glad that that is part of my brand. Um, but absolutely, um, I think it's important to understand, like, I'm laughing now, but I've got to tell you, Jim, this story is absolutely the thing of nightmares. Now, um, for those of you who are not 100% familiar with it, I'm going to kind of just walk you through what happened. Um, there was a, a story that came out of Wisconsin in, um, I believe it was, it was in October, mid-October, that a couple had been found murdered in their home. And that their 12-year-old daughter was missing. And that was all the news we had until this week. I was going to say, this really sounds like the probably best possible ending to the worst possible story. Every parent's nightmare of uh, having your child disappear one day. Uh, As I'm looking over this article here captive for 88 days i mean this this is a long stretch to be kidnapped but understand Um, this like all we knew was that her parents had been murdered mm -hmm. and that she was missing so you know there was speculation that was she kidnapped did she go willingly did she run away you know was she part of this i mean as you can imagine there was excessive speculation all directions Mm -hmm. as they continue to look for this 12 year old girl um, because you just don't know, and they did not have any leads or any reason to believe um, that they would, you know, what had happened. They had no explanations, and we got our explanations this week, and I've got to tell you, Jim, this is the thing of nightmares, because I want to tell our listeners up front, first of all, I'm going to tell you this story not to scare you and not to make you paranoid, because the one thing you need to understand is that this situation is exceptionally rare. However, it is horrifying nonetheless. Now, yeah. as we, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to observe, like on the one hand, because you there was a t- everything starting going back to uh, America's Most Wanted and and kids on the milk cartons and stuff like that. Um, parents were terrified that some you know maniac out there would steal their children, and people pointed out that actually most child abductions are done by someone the child knows. Uh, you know, big chunk of child abduction cases are actually cases of, uh, you know, messy divorce. One parent runs away with the other, you know, that, that really the horrible scenario that, that made for TV movies are made out of are generally pretty darn rare, but that doesn't mean they don't happen. And this sounds like one of those absolute nightmare scenarios. So sorry, continue. You are absolutely spot on. And that's great commentary on the situation um, for someone who really knows very little about it at this point. <laughs> um, I say this because what we have found out this week came because this little girl escaped. Okay. It has to begin there because we would know nothing 
if this young child had not escaped. This girl escaped her captor after 88 days, ran down the street after he said that he'd be gone for five or six hours. And he had left her kind of pent up, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But this little girl was brave enough to kick and push and scratch her way out of there and run down the street. And she found someone and said, they murdered my mom and dad. I want to go home. And without that, they would not have found her. In fact, the first reports of her saving herself were initially kind of like ignored by the local media and sheriff because there had been so many false reportings and false sightings of her. Now that we have her, um, she's found the man who has captured was captured just literally within the hour. He had been out looking for her, and by the time he got back to his house, the cops were waiting for him. Here is what we know now happened. This guy, this monster, um, this person, took a job um, which he only worked at for two days, Jim. Two days. And during one of those trips to work, he saw Jamie Kloss getting on the school bus. Yes, yeah, the, the really bizarre case, when I say, you know, most of these circumstances are, are someone who you've come in contact with before. Uh, as far as they can determine right now, there's not a single case in which he ever interacted with anybody in the family. Correct. And in <sighs> fact, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, it gets worse. Um, so he sees her. And decides that he is going to kidnap her. Within three days, he has purchased his um, kind of kidnap kit. Um, his gloves, his rope, his tape, everything. Within three days of seeing her at the bus stop. He then begins to stalk the family. Um, kind of checking out the time and places. It's my understanding that he may have even attempted on previous nights. But there were too many people at home or awake. Um, and so... He then, um, the night that he chose to do this, went to the house, um, fully prepared to do whatever was necessary to get her out of the house with him, uh, went in the house, killed her father, actually, as he, the father came to the front door and he shot her father through the front door. Her mother grabbed her, ran upstairs, they hid inside of the bathtub. The man came up, knocked the door in, shot the mother in front of the child after he had made the mother bind the child up grabs the child, throws her in the trunk, they take off, and both the perpetrator and Jamie Kloss report that they heard and saw the police coming within 20 seconds of them pulling out of the driveway. But you know, he just casually pulled away. I got and you. she was in the trunk. So at this point, he takes her to this very remote cabin, and it is my understanding at this point, what we know is that she is being kept underneath his bed. And he has put, like, free weights, basically, mm -hmm. in front of her. And has blocked her in, like, underneath his bed with free weights. So, and he was so, and apparently would play music. Um, he even had his father come over and visit during this time period. Mm -hmm. Um. And felt very comfortable because he had scared her so badly, as you understand, happened, and had her trapped underneath there that she was afraid to do anything when someone was there of the consequences. You know, and, I'm, sorry. Go ahead, I'm no, sorry, please. I'm, look, I'm looking at the uh, mug shots of the perpetrator. His name is Jake Thomas Patterson. He is 21 years old. Now, here's what's really, you know, like you, he has no prior criminal record. Um, he has short-term work in between periods of unemployment. This is not a really big, menacing guy. This is a fairly no. fellow. Uh, I understand apparently he has shaved his head because he didn't want to leave DNA evidence. Like, like the one he hand, it sounds like his... this guy really had thought through all the different ways that a kidnapper could be caught. And there's no warning signs. There's no indication. Of, you know, no. Uh, we mentioned no contact with the family beforehand or her. No mm -hmm. contact with the. Uh, uh, no online contact. I mean, there's and here, nothing here, well, here's the thing about this guy is that he has no online social presence whatsoever, never did. Mm. And thus making him very different. Obviously, he's 21 years old than everyone else his age. Apparently, this is a very remote cabin. His mother left when he was 10 years old. He lived there with his father and siblings. They ultimately also moved out of this remote cabin. He continued to stay there. He didn't play video games. He wasn't into, um, the, like I said, anything online, things of that nature. 
The kid apparently sat in this cabin and read in total isolation. Um, and, and some said that he was obsessed with military or paramilitary stories and things like that. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, so, I'm looking at this. He enlisted in, yeah. listed in the Marines, stationed at Marine Recruit Depot in San Diego. He was a washout, yeah. Lasted a month, yeah. Did yeah, not complete was... boot camp, and uh, mm-hmm. apparently the Marines issued a statement. His premature discharge and rank are indicative of the fact that his character did not match the Marines' expectations. Correct. Um, no reason to think the Marines would, you know, find him, you know, suspect he'd be capable of something like this. Um, but you just Although I'm think, starting you know, to think we need to tag him like you do sharks. Well, in a way, like this. Um, really, yeah. But let, let me finish the story first because it, it, it's so, like, again, we've gotten through the most of it, but we bring it to the point where he then drives her several hours away to this remote cabin where he lives. And puts her underneath his bed. And it is my understanding, Jim, at this point, he did not even know her name until he heard it on the news. You know, I mean, just the pro- prototypical, we all, you know, go through life thinking, one, it would never happen to me. It never happened to my loved ones. It never happened to anybody I know. And two, if it does happen, then the people who find themselves in those terrible circumstances must have done something at some point, some point, uh, to generate that you know some sort of exercise of bad judgment. You know, you don't get into car windowless vans with guys. Um, you know, all those little things. And there's no indication that this poor girl did anything. There's no indication that mm-hmm. anyone in her family did any. You know, this is you know almost as random as picking somebody out of the phone book. Uh, yes. And deciding you're going to, you know, absolutely destroy their life. It's it's absolutely kind of chilling and bizarre. Um, and the other thing, the interesting thing is, you know, usually you'd say, uh, you know, we, we've talked on this program about, you know, mass shooters and stuff like that. You, uh, you know, there's red flags. Uh, he was a loner, kept to himself. There, you know, being odd and and washing out of the, the Marines and not having a lot of friends. Look, none of those are, are good things. Right. But none of them point to this guy's going to be a, you know, uh, uh, the most horrific kidnapper you could imagine and, and double murderer. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and that's the part that gets caught up in all of this is he's a double murderer kidnapper. Mm. Um, thus making him like literally the worst of the worst. He has killed he, he, he has killed this girl's parents and taken her hostage with what intent? I'm not sure. Um, there has been, you know, no reporting and I'm not sure about any like, you know, what he did to her while they were in um, that 88 day period, other than the fact that it says that she was beaten at one point, at least. Um, and so, you know, so to what end was this? Like, did he think, I, like I said, he had kept her underneath his bed. Yeah, I mean, so, it certainly points to obsessive behavior. And yet mm-hmm. there's no previous interaction to drive the obsession. You know, this Correct. isn't even like the. And, and uh, she was a coffee shop barrister. And she smiled at him once, and he interpreted that that they were meant to spend the rest of their lives together or anything like correct. that. There's no, but it's very know. similar. It's yeah. very similar because it takes nothing. And I think that's probably, like, that's probably the most important thing to this. If that little girl, if that twelve-year-old girl had not had the courage and clarity to kick her way out of there and run and get help and save herself, um, we would have probably never found her. Mm. Um, and I need like our, our, our listeners to specifically understand this from my perspective, which is that one, as I said, this is extra, exceptionally rare, right? We know this doesn't happen all the time, but we do need to understand that it does happen. And we need to be aware, not paranoid, but aware, and we need to protect our family. What we also need to think about is this is how crimes, like you look at situations like John Benet Ramsey, right? Mm-hmm. It has not been solved. We have no idea what happened, okay? Um, there are cases like this where the unthinkable is exactly what happened. Like something that you could absolutely not imagine, right? There's no way this guy would have even shown up on their radar. Yeah. And you also, I mean, obviously everyone's thought is, dear God, this poor young girl, you know, how does she put her life back together? What, you know, where does she go from here? How does she even, you know, begin to try to approach living a normal life? Um, but you also got to think, you know, think about that entire community, right? All, all, all the, the parents of girls around that age contemplating, dear God, it could have been my daughter, uh, all the neighbors, like, like the, the Absolutely. tranquility of that town shattered, uh, coupled with that nagging sense of, I mean, you know, and for all of us, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time thinking about it because it's too disturbing. But like, look, if this guy with zero warnings could, you know, try to pull something like this. You know, how many other ones are out there? Is you know, thank, We know it's rare. It's good. On the other hand, we're a country with 327 million people. 
So are there 10? <laughs> are there 20? Are there, you know, um, or something like that. So, you know, you, you know, again, and the other thing is also, like, you, we, you know, as far as I can tell, no real complaints about the police work in this. Mm. They, they, you know, right? or, or am I wrong? No, no, not at I, this I mean, time. And again, you know, as I said, this is one of those cases where, it, you know, we're probably going to find out more as it unravels. But what we know right now is both shocking. Um, I think also exceptionally informative. Um, there was literally very little to nothing that these people could have done to protect themselves outside of um, possibly shooting him before he came in the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is literally where you're at with it at this point. However, I think it is something that we need to be aware of. And as someone, as you know, I, I'm obsessed with true crime and how these things happen and the psychology behind it. I'm going to be paying close attention. Because during that 88 days, I asked repeatedly um, online and I would look and look for stories and for updates and for anything about this girl. And there was nothing like they had no real solid leads until she just magically appeared, which, of course, wasn't really magic, but her own escape. And um, to me, that's just amazing. And a story that I think people should be aware of long before it becomes a lifetime movie. Yeah, so. Um, well, we, you know, I, I'm glad you pay attention to these things, Mickey, so that I don't. I got to. one more for you. All so right, what's I up? might as well just get this out of the way since I've got y'all horrified right up front. Um, there is a special coming out on February 17th. It is called BTK: A Killer Among Us, and I've talked with you guys before about the fact that I love the show Evil. Um, Evil lives here because they talk to the people who are actually living with the perpetrators, not the victims. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different perspective. And it is I, I, what I saw in the preview, it is my understanding that one of BTK's daughters will be participating and giving an interview. Wow. And I am just fascinated. So I thought that was worth sharing. That is uh, that is pretty darn uh, you know, fascinating. And, and again, like, you know, when someone goes down this path, there are so many other lives left behind that were less directly affected, thankfully. But, you know, you know, the the classmates, the the people who knew him um, and only interacted them are thinking, oh, my goodness, I interacted with a notorious serial killer and didn't know it. It's it's kind of uh, unnerving. Um, Mickey, can we talk about something happier, uh, something slightly less scary, scary, like uh, <laughs> Adam Gase being head coach of the New York Jets? I mean, I only only slightly happier, only slightly less horrific nice. than her, you know, kidnappings and serial killers and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Yes, of course, Jim. All right. So, Mickey, you root for the Steelers, so you can't even remember what it's like to hire a new coach. Um, <laughs> you guys have had, what, four in your history? Three? In my lifetime or in yeah. our history? <laughs> Let's say three or four in, in your lifetime, I believe. Three. Right? There, yeah. are, there are three three coaches in my lifetime. Okay. Uh, that's like a that's a pretty good decade for the Jets. Uh, if we can get three to go to the, <laughs> the last ten years. <laughs> Um, so, you know, Jets fire Todd Bowles. Uh, it's not my look. I really wanted it to work out. It seemed like a very decent guy. Um, but the results were right there on the field. And I think one of the things that was really frustrating was the sense that the Jets never always seemed to start out slow. Certainly didn't have that killer instinct and finish um, kind of, you know, seemed soft. And I said, Mickey, I wanted a coach who had just a wild-eyed enthusiasm, just a, a wild-eyed drive and determination. Somebody would say, man, this team is going to be crazy competitive, <laughs> like a like a weird guy talking to himself, crazy competitive, the kind of guy you cross the street because you don't want to talk to him because he seems really weird. Uh, and they gave me Adam Gase, so I really shouldn't complain. Um, for okay. those who didn't see the press conference where he really looked like either he was uh, either he was like Crazy Eddie and his prices were insane, uh, or he had some sort of thyroid problem that was causing his eyeballs to look like two ping pong balls that were ready to pop out of his skull. The um, pictures that people sent me on your behalf <laughs> um, made me giggle all day long. That's all I have to say about that, because the still shots were truly priceless. Now, can you explain to me why he had that look on his face? Um, well, the most obvious, simple answer is, oh, my God, I really went through with it. I'm the head coach of the New York Jets. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, so, look, I mean, the Jets did cast a very wide uh, net. They spoke to uh, a bunch of the top can top uh, college coaches, uh, Rule uh, Biennemi, who's that offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and the Kansas City Chiefs have scored about a bazillion points this year. Um, 
They did not speak to Bruce Arians, uh, the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. That is not surprising, and I don't think it's a uh, oversight on the part of the organization because uh, so Todd Bowles, the former head coach of the New York Jets, was a like a son to Bruce Arians. They had coached together in Arizona, longtime buddies. You know, it's kind of tough to say, Bowles, you're fired. Hey, Bruce Arians, how'd you like to replace your best friend? Right. Um, you know, there are just some coaches who, you know, and Bruce Arians isn't a guy where he knew he was going to have a bunch of choices and he wasn't and going course, to go out. Yes, yeah. And Bruce, you know, we're going to talk about him again in a little bit later because he was a big part of other stories because, of course, he was at one time our offensive coordinator at the Steelers as well. Right. I mean, so this is, you know, again, not spread. Now, so there's a whole bunch of options. I liked the enemy. Uh, I could have lived with Mike McCarthy, although I think I'm a little underwhelmed with the performance of the Packers in recent years, uh, both with and without Aaron Rodgers on the field. Um, there was a, a couple Kingsbury I was very excited about. I, I, I was like, OK, let's go out. Let's get that next up and coming hot college coach and roll, our, roll, roll the dice on that. And instead, we go with the guy who had a pretty much 500 record with the Miami Dolphins for the last couple of years. Now, Mickey, you're, you're a Steelers fan. You're watching the AFC. First of all, in the last, let's say, three years and change, how many times have you even thought about the Miami Dolphins? Mm, there was that one time they beat the Patriots. Okay. Yes, there was one wild, crazy <laughs> fluke play. Right? Yeah, a lot of fun exactly. watching Gronk fall down. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that was in the last three years, so I'm going to go with that time. Yeah. And again, it's not like the Dolphins during this time period were, were bad. They, they had a 500 record over the past couple of years. Now, uh, my brother and I, a similarly long-suffering New York Jets fan, always like to enjoy enjoy teasing each other each year by saying, "You know, uh, uh, I guess I guess I can let out." So, you know, I, my brother's name is Paul. It's like, you know, Paul, uh, I really think this is the year Tannehill turns a corner uh, and becomes one of the elite passers in the NFL. And I, <laughs> the joke is because they've been saying this for like six or seven years, um, and that the Dolphins are this year's hot breakout team. Every preseason, except for the year, you know, Tannehill got uh, got injured very badly. The Dolphins are a hot pick. They're on the verge of a breakthrough. They're really going to push the the Patriots, and they don't. And and I feel like they've been this you know mediocre seven and nine, nine and seven. You know, uh, you know they they, they win some games. They oh, don't. I think as a Jets fan, there have been seasons that you would aspire to be nine and seven. Oh, look, you know, there's the look. You know, what people say, you know, when there are people, a lot of Jets fans, you can hear are trying to talk themselves into the into the pick. And they say, look, Adam Gaze is going to be a better coach than uh, than Todd Bowles. Yeah, not the highest bar to clear. <laughs> um, the, you know, the, one of those things in terms of everything. Do you from, think you know, it is, that it's possible? And mm-hmm. I'm just putting this out there. Do sure. you think that it's possible that the organization believes that his lack of success in Miami was not due to his efforts, but either the talent or the execution on the field? Yeah, and I, you know, it's one of those things where I very few people would say, oh, it's all Adam Gaze's fault. Uh, indisputably, some of it's the players apparently had problems with uh, uh, exchanged harsh words with the owner, which probably had a big step in his uh, dismissal from the job. Um, you can't lay all of the blame at his feet, but I also think you can't, you know, exonerate him of that. Now, heading into Miami, he'd be he was one of the another one of these classic hot offensive coordinators uh, worked with. Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning keeps singing his praises. Peyton Manning had his best season when he was with him at Denver. Um, I mean, Gase, you know, Gase is a probably a perfectly fine quarterback focused offensive. Well, you've got a young quarterback, right? And you've got a guy who understands your division. Yes. So, I mean, there are some positives here. Oh, yeah, and the other thing is that we hired Greg Williams. Apparently, everybody wanted to hire. Oh, now that's a great hire, yeah. Right, and and so the the attitude is okay. Adam Gase has never been all that focused on defense. He's going to let Greg Williams run it. Okay, now I'm feeling a little better about this. Um, apparently, the new nickname for the Jets' mm-hmm. defense next year will go from being New Jack City to the Bounty Hunters. Uh, <laughs> but but no, I, mean, I, I I agree. I think if that is the plan, is to let Greg Williams focus on the defense and to allow Gase to focus on the offense you might actually end up with a decent team. You have a very young quarterback. You've had tons of really good first-round draft picks. Surely you've got something up there you can put together. No, I was going to say, I will be very happy on some future edition of our podcast, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, to say, wow, Adam Gase turned into a great coach. He clearly learned a lot from his experience in Miami. And there are plenty of coaches who have had better time, better success the second time around. Belichick, uh, Pete Carroll, uh, uh, you know, Andy Reid, you could argue. 
Um, plenty of, you know, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to say, wow, Adam Gase was just the right choice for this team. Um, but if I'm not, I'm going to say, you know, here was a guy who was mediocre as head coach in Miami. And then he came to the Jets and, you know, I, 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 out, out of the seven or eight people that the Jets interviewed, this was my least favorite guy. Um, and it's been interesting to watch the number of fans who are like talking themselves into it and say, no, no, this is a good. And the guys, the the ones who are, you know, staked their claim that he was a bad pick and they're going to have that perception from here on out. I, again, love to be wrong, hope to be wrong. But Mickey, I don't think I'm going to be wrong. But hey, you know what? Maybe we could have uh, Antonio Brown in green and white next year. What do you think? Well, that's interesting that that was the direction that you were going to go with the next segment. When I went to ask you, what was the name of the stadiums where the Patriots play? <laughs> Gillette. Once the best <laughs> the man could get. Now, you know, and by the way, so I've written about this uh, in, in this week's Morning Jolt. And I, it feels like this is almost talk to death. But I'll just make one kind of observation. Um, actually, actually, so here's my first thought, Mickey. Have you noticed that women's razors are more expensive than men's? Yes, it was one of the first things I bitched about when I saw that ad. Okay, so you know, do you think this ad was some sort of like preemptive defense uh, or some sort of, hey, don't get, don't come after us feminists, we're on your side, subtext to this entire campaign? All right, I am going to give you my I used to work in media answer, okay? okay? So everybody just, you know, prepare yourself accordingly. You're probably not going to like it. Um, the bottom line is I believe that Gillette was targeting men 18 to 34 who have not yet selected a, quote, brand of razors. They are getting their asses kicked in the market by groups like the, you know, the Dollar Shave Club and, mm -hmm. of course, all of these little, like, crafty razor groups that have jumped up because one individual craft um, group doesn't hurt you, but when there are multiples it really cuts into your market share. And Gillette has had a problem with that. Um, I think this was their way of kind of branding themselves to that 1834. Um, they're not calling, I guess they're calling them Generation Z people who are all sensitive and whatnot. Um, this is the ad for Pajama Boy. You are not the demo. Because, you know, brother, I had much higher hopes for uh, Generation Z, Mickey, because uh, I've got two sons in it. Uh, and, and they seem to be turning out fine. So that, they thought they were giving my answer to the millennials to be like, you know, that we have this alternating, awesome, uh, awful uh, kind of pattern when it comes to generations. Greatest generation, baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, Generation Z. So Generation Z should be awesome. Uh, and I don't like what you're telling me unless you know, the, the other thing, observation people pointed out, Mickey, I, would you agree? Again, I realize, you know, you're in the Richmond area. I'm a up in, you know, just outside the Beltway here in D.C. Do you feel like you see more beards around these days? Um, yeah, I definitely think that that has hurt their market as well. I right? mean, no I mean, lie. Like, like, it's definitely, it was a, it's, it's a trend. Like, having a beard is a trend. That obviously hurts razor companies. So, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you've got this thing. So how do we make our product that, you know, mo more people have chosen not to use well, how do we get people to talk about it? Well, you, you know, know I, yeah. I actually think that there's an article on Ricochet and maybe X John wrote it. Um, that'd be John Gabriel um, wrote it about Gillette's problems leading up to this before this ad even came out. Um, and I think it does a really good job of kind of explaining this. And I think it ties into, yes, they're they're looking to market to a certain group. They've lost market share because of the beards. They've lost market share because of Dollar Shave Club. So it's kind of their, I, you know, again, I'd call it jumping the shark, but it might work for them. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know how people really respond to these types of things. What I do know is that as a Steelers fan, there's a, a creative account out there on social media called Benstonium. Mm -hmm. And they have created or recreated the ad centered around Antonio Brown. Uh -huh. And um, now that is a sight to behold. Um, in fact, I will go ahead and put that on our Facebook page and I'll tweet it out um, so that everyone can see it because it's definitely worth seeing. Um, for me, it's a little hard with this whole AB situation, though. And I say this, obviously, you know, I'm a fan, a, a huge fan of Antonio Brown there. Are, you know, we have multiple of his jerseys in my family. Mm -hmm. um, he is someone that we love. He has a great story. He came from nothing. He was a six round draft pick. He took care of his younger siblings um, coming from a really 
struggled home and made his way through college to get to the Steelers and earned his position and he earned his money and somewhere along the line in the last like year and a half things have gone horribly bad right Mm. And it's it's really troubling for me to see all of this happening. Um, he keeps talking about this interview that he's going to be doing. I personally believe he leaves probably more of an intervention um, than an interview. I think that there's something going on there that's deeper than football. Mm. And I would really like it if someone would get involved. I also found out because, you know, that horrible show. It's now the horrible show, by the way, in this house. Um, the Masked Singer. We talked about this because Antonio Brown was the hip-hop hippo, remember? Mm-hmm. Yes, well, um, this week they revealed that the scary deer, which, by the way, looked like something that came out of the nightmares of, like, an apocalyptic, um, had a gas mask <laughs> for a face-type thing deer, like, there's no, like, any deer yeah. I've ever seen, um, was Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, you know how my brain works. Immediately, I'm like, oh, my God. This is all Terry Bradshaw's fault because this was all filmed last June before preseason. And we know that Bradshaw has a problem with Roethlisberger. He has a problem with the organization at times. He has a problem with Tomlin at times. He loves to brag about his rings, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Can you imagine he had time that he spent alone with Antonio Brown during the filming of this Masked Singer thing? Hmm. So can you imagine what he would have said to him having had that opportunity in a casual situation? So, I now blame him for everything. Okay. Do you think, Mickey, that any part of Antonio Brown's, um, you know, disgruntlement, his his issues with the organization, um, do you think, you know, look, a lot of, you know, big athletes these days don't just want to be sports stars. They realize that there's a possibility of branching out into acting, of branching out into social media, of branching out into movies, he already has like a Pizza Hut contract. He has, I think he has a contract with Pepsi. Like, it's not like AB has not had contracts, which he's probably going to lose, by the way, with this attitude. Because going right back to what I said earlier about, I was going to mention Bruce Arians, you know, he was with the Steelers for many years before going to the Cardinals. And when he recently signed with Tampa Bay, he was asked, Do you have any interest in bringing Antonio Brown down here? And his answer was no. A resounding no, and he said it was because Antonio was too much of a diva. And he said he was not the Antonio that he knew in in 2010 when he was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had talked last week about uh, the, the idea that wide receivers may be kind of, you know, just not, may, the position may attract this kind of personality. Mm-hmm. That uh, that basically they're, they're, if not egomaniacs, then they like to be in the spotlight. They like to have all the attention on them. Um you know that there's this. Uh, th- you know that this is not. A, this is not a natural position on the field. To the extent you're going to find any humility in athletes, you're not likely to find. But what it if he's actually in crisis? Well, that's another fair question. You know, is at some point when does um, unexpected, you know, bizarre behavior on the part of celebrity turn into the situation that's, if not a cry for help, then a, you know, the sort of thing that should really trouble people. Um, I don't know red if we're at that point. Uh, you know, look, it, it, at this point, it's only career destructive, not necessarily self-destructive. But he um, had self-destructive behavior. And this is why I get to this is that, right. remember, earlier in the season, he was throwing things off of balconies. And, right. and there was an issue with someone suggesting that, you know, he almost hit a baby and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure they settled or whatever. But. Like, there ha- there have been other things going on, which is why I think that this goes deeper than football, which is why I would like for someone to get involved and mm. help this kid. And, you know, the, the fair question of, you know, uh, we look at those these lives and we think, oh, my God, wouldn't it be terrific to be a celebrity? Wouldn't it be terrific to be um, famous, to be wealthy, to have everybody chanting your name, all that roaring applause? And no doubt all that stuff's terrific. On the other hand, you've hung out with me at CPAC, right? <laughs> and CPAC is one of like two or three times a year where I'm famous. And by by midday, I'm ready to like punch people, right? I've never actually done so, but yeah, uh, people, even people being nice to you can be, you know, I, I find I guess this way describe it, be socially exhausting, right? You you want 
every single person who ta- who asked to talk one, to one i want to share how funny i think it is that you just compared your famousness at cpac to like the <laughs> famousness of antonio brown etc because i'm just gonna need a moment for that Clearly, what I'm getting is like a, <laughs> a molecule's worth of what he's getting, and I find it exhausting. No, but but you're absolutely right. Um, when we you know scaled down and to absolutely right, um, I would say that you rarely make it to lunchtime. Um, <laughs> and I think that like I you know you and I have been there where things have, you know we're walking through things have barely even opening yet. You you're just getting your coffee. And suddenly everyone's there wanting to talk to you and you don't do well with it. Um, although I think that you handle it really well at the time. I know that inside you're dying. Yeah. Well, yeah. by the end of it, I'm like, oh, my God, Mickey, get me out of here. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. This is when I tap out. Um, but but again, I think that, you know, one, yes, that that is something that personalities need to handle. I think that different personalities deal with it differently. I think that. His choices, like starting with Dancing with the Stars, and you know this, and if you go back and probably listen to it, TGMs, I bet that there's an episode where I bitch about him being on Dancing with the Stars because I believe, like, if you're a Steeler specifically, I don't care about other football teams, like, your focus should be on being a Steeler. Like, what you do after you're done being a Steeler is, like, your own business. But I just feel like that should be your focus. And, you know, we've been very lenient with people, specifically him, over the years. Um, and I'm not sure that that's worked in our favor. Is it, you know, a lot of people say, particularly when people are talking about professional athletes and uh, contracts and all that stuff, look at football, most guys in the league last only, you know, three years. Um, your risk of, you're only one torn ACL away from everything, your, your whole career ending and stuff like that. These guys only have a certain amount of years to make their money. Do you think that adds to the pressure? And maybe that's like, you, you'd see fewer baseball players or fewer NBA players having these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, intense psychological stress and, you know, yes, uh, unsavory no. behavior. Because I they, said, yeah, I, I would say absolutely. They have a very short window to have a career. Um, in the case of Antonio Brown, however, he just signed a major contract. He just got paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to be 31. So this is probably one of his last major contracts, but, and maybe that's what triggered it with him. Right. Okay. Like, so how old is, is Antonio Brown right now? Uh, 30. I think okay. he's going to be 31 maybe, uh, coming right. up here. I'm not sure when his birthday is, but let's assume he probably can play until he's 35. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think although, we've got him through then on this contract. Right. But it's not, I mean, beyond that, that's, you know, he, you know, as much as, you know, uh, uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, Tom Brady defy, um right and we paid him but with what's so ironic about all of this is we paid him a crazy amount of money because we felt like he was worth it he had earned it whatever and then we had Le'Veon bell hold out because we would not pay him antonio brown kind of money Mm -hmm. and now we've got both of them doing this nonsense that that nagging this you know sense that you've created uh Mm -hmm. uh you create one problem by trying to solve another um, so again, you know, I guess maybe you're, again, this is about as sympathetic to Antonio Brown as I'm going to get. Um, you've got your problem. You're, you're, you've got a couple of years of playing by 40. You'd, you'd probably better, you think you're about, should be transitioning into coaching or, or broadcasting or whatever he wants to do after his playing days are over. And maybe that question of, is anybody going to remember me when I'm 45? Always. Well, news, you know, like, like again, in a way that you just don't have necessarily in other sports. Well, and again, this is a guy that was known and is known for working harder, longer, faster than everyone else. When he would get injured, we knew that he would be back before they like if they said three weeks, he'd be back in one. Mm -hmm. If they said six weeks, he'd be back in four because he worked so hard and took such good care of his body and focused so hard on being a great football player that to see this kind of shift is really weird. Yeah. Um, Again, you know. And maybe you know, the- people do very odd and strange things. I mean, especially, you know, when celebrity comes along, um, you know, we saw this week, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect because we saw this week um, all over social media, Cardi B was trending, right? Huh. Cardi, Cardi B was trending all over the place. And to the point where I actually, I, I follow her on Twitter and I looked and she had actually tweeted out, why am I trending? And I thought this was hilarious because she was trending because she had done another one of her video rants. This one was apparently more liberal leaning. Um, there was one that she had done previously that was very anti-tax. 
Mm-hmm. This one was more, um, I've been told, you know, very, by people who care, um, that it was very liberally. I thought the entire thing was hilarious. Um, I thought that I, I'm a big fan of Cardi B in the sense that I think she's funny. I think that she's someone who has zero filter in a world where everyone filters every single thing they say all the time. Mm. She is a breath of fresh air well, because she wanna... filters nothing. One of the things that amused me the most was probably people's reaction to it. Um, and the fact that, you know, obviously it blew up the internet. Everyone's talking about it. And then what did I see and what did I send you, Jim? Oh, look, Cardi B has an unreleased single that has just blown up on the internet. Yeah, because when you say, oh, why is she trending? Well, look, uh, there are two videos. And if you go searching Cardi B video, there are two that that she's released in the last uh, couple of days that could attract your attention. Mm-hmm. One of them is about politics and is more liberal leaning. Uh, and the other mm-hmm. one isn't. Um, and you know, <laughs> listeners to this podcast know we have no fear of um, body material or, or things like that. Um, it's pretty shocking, Mickey. E- even by my own twisted, depraved uh, uh, state. Like, you look at that, like, wow, that's pornography. It you looks understand like. understand that Cardi B was previously a stripper, right? Uh, and those skills have not left her, apparently. Correct. Um, I feel like sharing that information with you and the listeners will then help explain why the video might be, and maybe make it less shocking. Well, but we've heard, Because oh, she has know, skills, and she's very flexible. Going back to the 80s, ah, these, you know, these music videos are practically pornography. We can take out the practically <laughs> on this one. And I guess because it's social media, they don't have quite the sale. Again, the MTV censors were, you know, pretty lax- up until Madonna would start, you know, like well, having right. sex. And they would, you know, even so like they would run it and they run the blurry box, right? Yeah. And uh and social media, you don't have that. No, so, there's no blurry box. It's definitely, everyone. you know, I, I would say that, you know, if Tipper Gore were around, she'd slap a label on it. Oh, you know, then, um this would so... kill Tipper Gore if she saw it. This is uh... <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> you do not Hugh Hefner would say, whoa, that's a little explicit, <laughs> all right? That's, you know. That's a little much. Um, so, yeah, listeners are now rapidly, like, I can hear them Googling as we speak right now to go see it. Um, but, yeah, so, I, you know, I think that it's funny to me that she appears and she disappears. I find her, as I said, to be a breath of fresh air. She is not for the faint of heart. She is not PG-13, but she is a lot of fun. And, you know, isn't that what entertainment's supposed to be? I suppose I'm also going to observe if you issue some sort of political rant on one video and, um, you know, lots of, of shaking in a bikini and or less in another video, you're basically covering all your bases, aren't you, Mickey? I mean, like you're you're going to get one demographic or the other uh, with with those two. That's uh, so, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if she's aiming to hit for the cycle or something like that. Well, but, as uh, I said, she has also put videos out where she's exceptionally anti-tax and anti-IRS. Yes, which, is hilarious. Which, very, which very much sounds like someone who got her um, uh, a, a paycheck with a pay stub and very much well, had well, that, whoa, thinking, whoa, whoa, where, where all my, who's this FICA guy and why is he taking all of my money? Yes, I think more to the point, it was one of those situations where her accountants came to her and said, here's the check that you need to write. Yeah. And this is who you need to write it. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And but, you know, but good for her, right? I mean, yes. this is something, you know, this, this is something that, you know, uh, ah, you know, raise taxes on the rich, and then people become rich, and they begin to realize, oh, wait a second, it's not some, uh, you know, uh, little man in monopoly hat who uh, <laughs> who uh, apparently is, you know, is now going to be Kevin Hart <laughs> swimming in his money, swimming in his money bin like Scrooge McDuck, who's keeping all the money. Like, you, know, you finally make it. Congratulations, you're achieving your dream. And all of a sudden, the government is taking a very big chunk out of that, uh, you know, that million dollar payday you've been dreaming of your whole life. Um, now, what, what you? Uh, I feel like I, I missed what that last reference was. In, in oh, I apologize. I quickly just kind of threw it in there because you said Monopoly Man. I was, I was not expecting that. Um, but it has just been announced that he is going to be in the Monopoly movie. And my guess is, of course, that he would be the Monopoly Man. I, I was going to say. I love uh, Kevin Hart. Whatever it is, I'll watch it. I love him. So he was great in Jumanji. So, yeah, I'm in. Oh, I, you know, I, I think he's probably, I, I was thinking about how the number of times, like, it's interesting because he has this, look, he's, he's African-American, um, and he kind of has this, I, I've seen movies where he's played the tough guy. 
I've also seen him be the the voice of the bunny in you know the Secret Life of Pets, right? That was uh, we saw Jumanji, right? He, he does a lot of goofy comedies with The Rock, um, but we you know, like he's kind of got range, and, and I kind of feel like that's underestimated. Um, that if he needed to, he could play, he could perform you know, G, uh, mm-hmm. but also he could, you know, that he could do, do very grown up and very explicit or something like that. Um, but Mickey, how do you, how do you make a plot about the Monopoly board game? Well, I think it's fair to say that they make plots about video games all the time. Um, and Jumanji is ultimately originally was theoretically based on a board game, right? So I don't know how the plot works exactly outside of the fact that I'm going to guess that somehow you get trapped in the board. <laughs> um, figured, uh, it was involved in iron, a thimble, a race car. Right? I don't know. Like, the, I, I'm the not top sure. Hat. What were the other one? There was the horse. The I always like being the horse. One of the nastiest insults I've ever heard was somebody who said, you know, he's the kind of guy when you play Monopoly, he chooses to be the thimble. <laughs> right? And Great. the moment you hear that, you're like, oh, well, okay. Oh, that, you know. that guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great line. I'm going to save that one. That's good. Yes. No, I, and again, I don't know how you come up with a plot line for that. But again, you know, look, it's Hollywood. How often do they come up with the original plot line anyway? No, I, I, w- I would not dispute that. I'm not going to give any uh, disagreement uh, to that one. But Although uh, there, was, there, there is, you know, you know who's bringing the originality into what we're watching and programming is Netflix. Um, and in an NHBO, you know, I watch True Detective mm-hmm. and I'm obsessed with Netflix programming. I told you guys about um, the great, um, the great American, yeah, the great British baking show and how much I love mm-hmm. that, right? Well, the new hottest thing on there is a show called Tidying Up. Have you heard about this? I have. And, and let me make one, the one thing I've heard in my one impression, which I guess is kind of a good example of how you never know when one particular statement by a host or a program will set off these social media, uh, uh, you know, uh, tirades and, and get people, you know, it will define your show for all the people who have not encountered it. Um, apparently the hostess of this show said you should not own more than 30 books. I think first of all, it's important to explain exactly what the show is because okay. there are probably people who don't understand who she is and what she is. All right. Walk us through that because then I got very strong opinions. Okay. As, as, as always, I'll leave the details to you, but here's how it rolls. She was, she's become very famous on YouTube mm-hmm. um, because she likes, initially it was like folding laundry. She would just like fold laundry mm-hmm. and it built from there into a tidying up thing. And her whole deal is that like she has these steps. There's like these five steps of how you rid yourself of all the clutter in your life. Hence the show tidying up. And then only things in your house that you keep are things that, quote, bring you joy. You know, on paper, that's a perfectly fine philosophy. I, you know, um, did, did, were you, did you happen to watch the episode or run across the segment where she said you should only own 30 books? The books are actually one whole category of her, like, five rules. Oh, Really? Yeah, because it's like clothes is one, um, books is one, uh, sentimental is one, uh, maybe seasonal, I can't remember what the other one is, and I mean, like, there's five, like, categories, but one of them specifically is books. Mm. And um, so she makes a big deal about the fact that if you've read a book, you know, you pick your favorites and then the rest of them you should donate to someone else to read. Okay. Now, I, you know, between uh, the, the, the books that I buy for work, between the books that I get sent to me, hope people hoping I will blurb them or review them or mention them or something like that. Uh, and, of course, the numerous, numerous books that I blur. Oh, the books that I buy for myself that I tell myself are research but really aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I may attempt to claim to the Internal Revenue Service that, yes, they were a business expense. A uh, couple of the books that I buy for enjoyment. I got a ton of books. I've got too many books. I got boxes in the attic. I don't have nearly enough bookshelf space, et cetera, et cetera. I can get the idea that, you know, people who don't think of themselves as hoarders can end up having uh, the amount, a pile of books that will, will fall on them. My colleague, Catherine Lopez, had a cubicle that was entirely full of books. Uh, <laughs> 
and the you know they, they, everyone just kind of would enter the office every single day. Don't 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 stomp down the hallway because you might knock over that pile of books and kill poor Catherine Lopez. Um, now again, th- so I get that, but on the other hand, thirty books seems like a really tough uh, uh, limit right there. And, well, and it's also interesting because books being separate from sentimental. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think because there are a lot say, of people yeah. who would say that yes, certain books are exceptionally sentimental. Um, and yeah, you know, people making the argument of how many books are you going to read more than once? You know, very, very fair complaint, very fair uh, uh, gripe or observation or something like that. Having said all that, um, those books but, on your in your attic aren't being read by anyone. True, totally true. First of all, if, you, if the moment I go into somebody's house. The first thing I, you know, I gravitate to is their bookshelf. I think you can learn a heck of a lot about about a person, about uh, by what books they read. Absolutely, I guess that's maybe, also maybe, terrifies me because if they read my bookshelf, they're going to know how I feel about you know serial killing and whatnot. That's fine. That's okay. That's <laughs> that is a part of you, right, Mickey? That's not you know. Absolutely. Right? Um, and not, maybe maybe not everything would necessarily impress someone or or something like that, but you know. Generally, this is a, you know, again, now here, while I, as much as I recognize hoarding, I consider the fact, so if you have a lot of books and you have too many books, I actually mm-hmm. kind of think better of you. Like this, this is a problem, you know, and maybe some people could say that, oh, it's turned into a um, humble brag. Oh, you know, I've got so many books or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. The other thing which people seem to be very honest about, and I will, I will confess this as well, my book purchasing rate is a, much faster than my book reading rate. Yeah. Um, and so I've got piles of stuff that I'm meaning to get to that looked good, uh, and that for one reason or another I never quite got around to. I uh, uh, haven't gotten around to reading, but I tell myself I will. In a bunch of cases, I have done so. So, uh, and if I can find some way to refer to it in one way or another uh, in work, then I can say, okay, this is a uh, this this was done for this is a business legitimate business expense. Having having watched the YouTube videos, which are soothing, and I get the impression also maybe some form of, of like pornography or fetish. For people like just to watch her do it, I'm not sure why it gets so many hits. Um, I, I've seen that, but I, I and I've also now seen the show. I will tell you that the show is a hot mess, like the production of it is a hot mess. They don't do a very good job of even sticking to her rules, even though they explain to you that there are like five rules that you're supposed to follow, and then they jump all over and they don't even hit all five, and you're like, wait, what happened? Um, and there's a communication problem because she does not speak any English and they've got her interacting with, um, English, English speaking families. And so there's a translator involved. So like whatever value and soothingness that you got from watching her on YouTube, in my opinion, completely the opposite situation going on on this Netflix show. Um, I, I kind of wondered if it was a little bit of. Uh, like I can't stand the thought of moving, and apparently, you know, Mrs. Campaign Spot is debating about various, you know, home repair or home improvement projects for the coming year. I hate it all, but I don't mind watching other people do it on HGTV nearly as much, right? So, for people who feel bad about the clutter in their house, watching other people clean and declutter, uh, maybe that would make them feel a little better about things or something like that. Is that oh, absolutely. A, yeah. yeah, I definitely think that there's something to that. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of like watching a hoarding show. Yeah. Uh, you watch a hoarding show and you're like, oh, I'm not that bad. So, you know, my clutter is just simple clutter. Um, I also, definitely we, think that there's that to be said. I, you know, there's the HGTV effect. We've discussed this ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially now that I'm redoing the entire downstairs of my house, you know, like this is my life. There you go. And, but how are you doing? Uh, On the rebuilding of of my life. Yes, it's going really well. Like, of course, you know, I've got my nephew is coming in April. We'd like very much to have the downstairs done by then. Um, And I've just been pushing Mr. Bias to to really get everything done. Um, And and I'm and I'm a great supervisor. So, you know, Mickey, you, you are high on the list of personalities that I would like to see on an HGTV show. Uh, you and Mr. Bias. Mr. Bias is, you know, brimming with competence. Um, basically, the the you know embodiment of uh, of just knowing what to do and how to do it. The you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are times he's not the strong, silent type, but in the times we've interacted, he certainly has seemed like just a you know Clint Eastwood esque quiet competence. Uh, that and I, I'm sure there's a time when he's not like that too. I'll just okay, let you know if you I go. ever see it. <laughs> um, 
But you know that uh, I, I, you know, interesting. You know, congratulations, to my brother, getting mentioned twice on this podcast. But he also had a uh, uh, his his uh, wife would come up with ideas and he would do them. And I, I used to joke because we were not particularly handy growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of us have you Shocking. know done a lot more than we ever expected to as we as we advance into life. Um, and, and so there, there. You know, look, a part of the. I, I, by the way, I also really think. Every show on HGTV that involves some couple needing to make either a home repair decision or move um, should feature a update within six months to see if they're still married. Always. Because I got a house. I watched a House Hunters International episode with Mrs. Campaign Spot about a week or two ago. Mickey, it was uncomfortable. You ever go to like <laughs> a dinner party and the couple's been fighting and they, you can tell they put the fight on hiatus while the, while get company was over, but they're still kind of snipping at each other and you're just like, wow, <laughs> here are two people who do not see the world similarly at all. Like, well, that's really going to cost a lot. You're always cost cutting, you know, it just, oh my oh. God, it was, you know. Yeah, uh, some of this is not going to end well. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, much like the tiny house thing, I'd like to see how, you know, give me a year later. Like, how are things going a year later? Because I yeah. feel like, you know, like, let's just see how things worked out. Um, and I like that kind of idea on an update because I think I've told you this before and maybe even our listeners. Um, my cousin refers to some of those HGTV shows as the show where you tear down the house you have and build a new one. Yes. You know. Because apparently, apparently none of the walls are load bearing because they're always knocking down walls left and right. You know? Right. You know, and like basically it's no longer like, hey, you can change this paint color and this lighting and you could do this and make subtle changes and look at what. No, this is like we're going to take this wall out. We're going to build an entirely new room off to the side here. And I think many people sitting at home and watching this like, where are they getting this budget? Well, yeah, it's you know, it's it's become a common joke, but it still is worth mentioning until HGTV stops it with the shows. It's like I'm a professional dog walker, and she's an artisan, you know, uh, a butter churn maker, and we're looking at something in the eight hundred thousand to nine hundred thousand range. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> are you dealing coke on the side or something? What's yeah, yeah. yes, and it, it is it is something that you know it's it's. It's apparently just kind of part of that whole reality TV. It's not reality, I think. Um, mm. Speaking of which, I do have a Bachelor update um, at this point in the season. Oh, because you you had irked the goose. You, you This is not some sort of like bizarre, you know, sexual metaphor of, you know, angering the goose or anything. No, there was a, a guy nicknamed Goose who you had apparently provoked on Twitter. Correct. Uh, and if people go back and listen to the previous episode, we go into my entire interaction with the goose. Um, my entire update for this week is um, he's still a virgin. Okay. <laughs> and I say Did this they have a because going on at the screen, at the bottom it, of the screen, and it kind of feels that way. Like, like all of the games are about being a virgin. All of the co- jokes are about him being a virgin. Like. To the point where it's 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 already played itself out. So I really hope that like it stops soon. Is it is it mocking him, Mickey? Because I, I want to observe that for anyone who has not had that particular level of experience, and you if, if, look if that's your choice, say you know, no, nope, God bless you. There's nothing wrong with you. you should never no, do anything I, before you're ready. It's not. You know? it's, it's it's seemingly done with a lot. I mean, obviously he's admitted it openly. He's embraced it at this point. So it's done very lightheartedly. It doesn't feel to be mocking so much as it is like just kind of like jokingly. But what it does, like I said, it just feels played out as a viewer. Um, you feel like they could come up with more creative things to talk about. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I, you know, it's like a one episode gimmick that they. I'd hate to see them try to stretch out over the the rest of the season. Right. Really, you know, you know why? Again, I'm sure to a lot of young ladies, this you know, look, at least you know this guy is not you know uh, trying to uh, uh, you know desperately get some woman in bed. You know, this is a guy who's <laughs> demonstrated that he's. Uh, However, he has made out with, like, all of them. <laughs> Except all right, for the one girl who is not only a virgin, she has never been kissed. <laughs> That's, and is it, is it, does she look like Drew Barrymore? Is that kind of like some sort of She is hot or? AF. She is blonde. She is blue-eyed. She is built like a model. She is gorgeous. And she is a virgin, and she claims to have never been kissed. And, of course, you know, he can't mock her, and he can't kiss her either. So he gave her the rose for that night. Okay. Is there a, um, 
interesting. I, 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 I suppose, uh, look, we should not expect any be- anything better. I love when I say something that gives you pause, by the way. So Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm trying to gather my thoughts there. So, um, so you know, God, we've, we've covered a lot this week, and I think we still had a few others. We're coming up on one hour of this podcast, if you're those, everyone home. Is there anything else you wanted to jump to, Mickey? I feel like I'm probably forgetting I, something. Look, there are about a million things going on, and of course, I can't guarantee that we're going to cover them all, so I'm just going to give you a quick update of things that people should be aware of. I did watch True Detective. Um, we had talked about it upcoming. I did watch it, and I will tell you, I am in. Excellent. It is fantastic. What I have seen thus far, I am 100% in. It's dealing with the character in three stages of his life. And um, when the initial crime happens, when it is revisited because of a, a, a break in the crime 10 years later, and then another probably 30 years later after he's retired looking back on it. Okay, Mickey, is this a sneak preview or has it officially started? It has officially started. Um, there was a two-hour premiere on Sunday night on HBO. Okay. So some of this, is, this will all be on demand. I think that it was one of those things that there was a lot going on Sunday night. I think people were very – I think there's a lot of people that are leery to get back into True Detective. Yeah. Um, yeah the, second, you know, the second season, man, that burned a lot of people. Um, but I will tell you that absolutely what I have seen thus far – I cannot wait to see what's coming because it's really well done. And I think that the reason that they did the two hours was to kind of give you a little taste of more of what is coming. Because, you know, a lot of these yeah. slow burn type shows, the first the first hours, a lot of times just barely laying out what's happening. Yeah. You, you got to lay out the, um, the the setting, the characters, all that kind of stuff. The, 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 the people say your most important chapter is your first one because that's what has to draw the reader in and stuff like that. I guess the same thing with viewers and television. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also means you've got a lot of work to do in a fairly short amount of time and uh, and a lot of stuff. So that's good. I, I will definitely put that on my uh, to watch list. I, it's funny. I, I said I felt like kind of past. I remember seeing the promos during the. the uh, Golden Lobes, and it really looked really good. And uh, well, you know, all of a sudden it kind of came and went. Yeah, um, we excellent. do have so many media choices. And just one more thing, I saw today the Razor. You guys remember the Motorola Razor, the most yes. amazing flip phone that ever existed. It was my <laughs> yes. favorite. I think I still have it, probably somewhere in a drawer, because I'm that kind of hoarder. I had a gold <laughs> one. I had the gold one. Like, do you remember that one? It was gold. It was beautiful. I loved it. They are making a comeback. Apparently, they are releasing what will be the equivalent of a smartphone version of the Motorola Razor with a display screen. So it will be a smartphone. Um, and the starting price is the low, low discount price of just $1,500. Oh, just $1,500. <laughs> this is what makes me believe it's not going to have the major comeback they might think that it would. Um, I, I think that that's an outrageous price because I'm someone who was like, yay. And I was like, what have you lost your mind? So is so, it, uh, yeah. does, does it have some sort of like, is it, is it just two different touch screens that fold on a hinge or something or look, Jim, I don't know the details of this yet. <laughs> what All I right. know is that they're going to charge a million dollars for it. And yeah. I think that if this is Motorola's attempt to get into the smartphone market i think the razor was the right way to go about it because immediately touched all of my touchy feelies like upon seeing it mm-hmm. um however i still i'm not going to pay 1500 dollars for a phone that is ridiculous yeah no I, I think you are you're wise on that um mickey uh, one of the joys or downsides of netflix is that it allows you to get into something long after everyone else is long since done with it Yes. Um, I have discovered uh, AMC's old series, Turn, Washington Spies. This is driven in part by the uh, my son's discovering the Hamilton soundtrack and loving every last bit of it. Um, it was a really good show. And it was around like five, six years ago. So no one's, no, <laughs> so like, oh, it's like a good show. So you have no one to like discuss like, it with? Is this what you're getting at? Here's the thing. Kinda. That was actually filmed like 20 minutes from my house. Oh, really? Because I've been thinking about that. I mean, it, you know. Uh, you might think, ah, you know, here we are. Bring the boys day. down. We'll take the tour. It's it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was actually filmed like 20 minutes from my house. And I am familiar with Turn. But I will tell you that I also, I think it's primarily because, you know, I got into binging. And at that point, you couldn't binge it. Yes. You had to like wait for it to come out each week. At some point, like third, maybe second or third season, yeah. I had to I'd stop watching it. 
they're kind of going with Revolutionary 24. There's always some sort of ticking bomb type uh, situation <laughs> yeah. at the end of every episode. You're like, oh my goodness, they're going to catch that spy. Oh God, what are they going to do? You know, and then, then you know, on and like, oh, okay, I, I need to wait, you know, 10 seconds while it brings up the next episode. So it's, it's really much more manageable. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Very well done. And just chock full of... Oh, hey, it's that guy, actors uh, from over the years. It's very, almost no stars, um, but a ton of actors, including a guy who I I need to do more research on. Basically, you can tell they pretty much said, hey, can we get the guy who plays uh, Tom Hiddleston, the guy who plays Loki in in Thor? Oh, he costs (laughs) how much? Okay, can we find a guy who looks like him? Are are there any other kind of tall, lanky uh, British? Oh, this guy, okay, he'll do fine. That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's good, you know, but the first time you look at it, it's like, is that the guy for? Oh no, it's not him. But it just—it's like your poor man's version of Loki. It's—it's it's, yeah. It basically told him, look, just just do Tom Hiddleston, and you'll be mm-hmm. fine with this character. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's where they are. So, uh, so that's what I'm enjoying. And you know, the other thing is when you what, the upside of discovering an old show on uh, on 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 Netflix is that you end up with oh, this is pretty good. Hey, I've got forty hours to get through. Yes. Uh, you have so. things to watch, and yeah, I am set I, for a good couple of weeks. So here, here's here's what's happening in our house. I, I may have told you. Um, I'm not sure if I told the listeners yet, but we are rewatching Game of Thrones again. Oh wow! Um, and so you know, so we've we've we're now in season seven. Um, so we're finishing up our second round of watching it the whole way through, and again, and we're going to now we've committed to watch it one more time. Prior to the actual launch of the new show and the premiere, it's my understanding is going to be like April 24th. And they've put out new trailers that just make you know, the hair on my arm stand up. It makes me so excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are watching it again. And it's amazing to me like how much more I pick up every single time I watch it because you understand what's happening. So you're not paying attention to like um understanding like who the characters are or what their accents are but you're suddenly focusing on yeah uh, the conversations that they're having um and the actual words and it's amazing yeah and also it's the kind of show where they're doing lots of you know there's probably a lot of subtle foreshadowing mm. uh, but although i guess i suppose if you go into the show saying well i just expect everyone to betray everyone else maybe you have fewer surprises maybe it's, it's much less like oh my god i can't believe we did that much nope. more like Ah, uh, okay. I knew that character. I knew that character, like every other character on the show, is completely untrustworthy. Uh, that is one hundred percent true. Um, I will tell you though that even watching it again, knowing some of the shocking things that are coming, they still end up being a little shocking. There we go. All right, good. You know. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of what's happening, obviously, with me right now, and uh, and as we talked about earlier. It's one of those things where Jim and I love that we've been able to get with you the last two weeks in a row, and we're really hoping we may even be able to do it next week. But we can't promise anything, and there's no promises ever coming from either of us about it. But where you can go and listen to us is at SoundCloud.com uh, forward slash Jim and Mickey Show, and pretty much anywhere really that you listen to podcasts now, you should be able to go search Jim and Mickey Show or hashtag TJams because that's what we use in social media, and that's t- hashtag. T-J-A-M-S, and you can pretty much find us across the board there. I do need to get some of these articles that we up, but um, I, as, as we've had a great time here, Jim, and uh, I hope that you know we can get to it next week, but we'll see. We'll be back when we're back. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity, and you've been listening to the one, the only, Jim and Mickey Show.